All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to the letter of Romans. We're coming down the home stretch. So it's Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, and I'll be reading the first 16 verses of this chapter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Kentria, that you receive her in the Lord in a matter worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself also has been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the portion of the letter, as you can tell, where Paul sends greetings to believers in Rome. And so from this passage of scripture, we get a fleeting snapshot of the church in Rome at the time of Paul, and along with it, a snapshot of the Christian life. And it's a snapshot filled with people. It's filled with faces of uh, Christians, of believers uh, that are there. We've, uh, in Sunday school hour, we looked at uh, John chapter 6, where Christ says, I am the bread of life. And so uh, the Lord promises to nourish with spiritual life abundantly those who believe in him. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will will never thirst. And so the Christian has enough in Christ alone uh, for himself in order that he might give to others. So the Christian life is about others. That's the life that we're called into. That's the life that the Lord is calling you further and further and deeper and deeper into is the life that involves others. We're saved as individuals. And uh, in a way, the focus on the individual comes from the Bible. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ alone as uh, individuals. We're saved alone. The Lord Jesus Christ, um, when he ministered to people, he often singled them out and ministered to them alone, healed them of, of disease or spoke to them uh, alone. And so we're saved alone, not as a member of any group, not as a member of a family, not as a member of the church even or of a nationality or of a, a gender. We're saved uh, alone. And yet the focus of life in Christ that we're saved for is not getting, it's not grasping. In fact, you already have everything that you need in Christ. But the focus of life in Christ 
is giving. It's giving to others. It's doing the very thing that Christ did for you to call you into that life. And that's the kind of life that he bestows. And it's the opposite of everything that the world uh, around us calls uh, life. Well, Paul never forgot the joy of ministering to uh, people, many of whom, when he first met them, were sinful, lost, selfish, self-absorbed, fully involved in sin and everything that that brings, all the uh, demeaning uh, things that that uh, brings about uh, in them. He never forgot the joy of ministering to them and then seeing them transformed by the power of Christ and then grace upon grace ministering alongside of them to others uh, as uh, well. And so Paul never got over the joy of that. He never forgot their faces and he never forgot their names. He never uh, stopped praying for them. In fact, that's probably a big part of why he remembers all these names uh, to greet in the church of uh, Rome. He never stopped praying for them. He says he's praying for them at the beginning of this letter, even when separated from them by great uh, distances. So this uh, fleeting snapshot of the church in Rome, all these names that Paul uh, greets here at the end of the letter, is also a snapshot of the Christian life. The life that you're being, that you've been called into and that you're being called into more and more. You're called out of a life of taking. You're called into a life of giving. You're called out of a life of sin and self. And you're called into a life of prayer, closeness to God, uh, and prayer on behalf of others, the life of uh, others. Um, our Wednesday night Bible studies, I think have already been mentioned uh, this morning. And I encourage you to come to those, by the way, if you're not uh, coming to them. There's a couple in uh, neighborhoods, one north of the Columbia, one south of the Columbia. There's one on Zoom uh, as well. And uh, I encouraged you when we first kind of kicked off this uh, new format just to take a while to get used to the new format, but I also encourage you to think of other people to invite to this, and this might be beneficial uh, to them uh, as well, and so I would encourage you to do that. We're, we're kind of used to the new format. We've had enough time to do that, and I encourage you to, to think of others. It's not just to make a, a church program go. It's to be a reminder. It's actually to be a prod to you of what our life is to be like all the time the life that we're called into in Christ, whether it's for a Wednesday night Bible study or not, it's to be a life of seeking to minister to others, seeking to give uh, to others. That's the life that we're called to, and that's the life uh, that Paul's life was characterized by. And so he has the names of many people on his lips and the, the faces of people in his heart as he writes to the church in Rome. Well, Paul mentions... 27 names, I think, in this letter. I kind of struggled to read through all of the names and try to pronounce them somewhat uh, correctly. All of them were inhabitants of uh, Rome. And uh, for many of them, their name is mentioned along with something good about them that Paul appreciates about them and admires. I really like this one uh, commentator that I was reading said about this. Uh, Each of these descriptive titles is, as it were, the rough draft of the new name which those persons shall bear in glory. I thought that was a, a, a good observation. Uh, they're given a, a, their own name in a description by uh, the Lord's apostle. And uh, in heaven, scripture speaks of us bearing a, a new name, spoken not by the Lord's apostle, but by the Lord himself uh, in us. But uh, Paul gives a, a note of appreciation uh, to each of these uh, people. Well, how did Paul know so many people 
in a church that he'd never been to before, in a place that he'd never visited before. And he says that, that he's never visited Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he's never been there uh, before. And yet he knows all these people who live in uh, Rome. And uh, this is due in part to the nature of the city of Rome in relation to the empire, the so-called uh, eternal city of Rome. The author of uh, Sherlock Holmes stories said memorably about the city of London. He said, London, that great cesspool into which all the loungers and idlers of empires are in a, in a irresistibly drained. So it's like a big drain for the, for, uh, the empire. And I think Rome was similar uh, Roman historian in, of ancient times, Tacitus, said, Rome is where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. And he was actually speaking about how Christianity came to Rome. He considered that something shameful and uh, hideous. But Rome was the most cosmopolitan city in the world at that time, and it was kind of a microcosm of the empire. So if something was happening somewhere in the empire of Rome, whether good or bad, uh, it would also show up in Rome itself. And uh, so Christianity spread in part of the empire, and uh, it seems it just showed up in Rome as well. We're not quite sure who founded the church in Rome, certainly not uh, Paul, but that kind of dynamic kind of explains how the church uh, was founded in Rome apart uh, from Paul. So though Paul had never been to the city of Rome, he'd been all over the Roman Empire, and he had been spreading the gospel and planting churches all over uh, the Roman Empire. And he administered together with many people who afterward, for one reason or another, were drawn to Rome. And so although he had never been to this church, he knew many of the people that had been to uh, Rome. At the end of most of Paul's letters, he usually doesn't greet individuals. He usually just sends his greeting to the church as a whole of the churches that he uh, planted and just gives greetings to the whole church. In fact, only in Colossians, another church that Paul had never attended uh, in person, does he greet individual people by name. And so it seems to be maybe a policy of Paul not to greet individually in letters to the churches he planted where he knew everybody, you know, <laughs> so he wouldn't, you know, single uh, one person out. But uh, in churches where he... Um, had never been before where he knew some of the people, he also uh, greeted them. So this is, a, these names, they're, as I said, a snapshot, a fleeting snapshot, because it's just like we get a, a, a t little hint of the life of the church uh, in Rome, and uh, there's not a whole lot that can be said about these uh, names. Uh, seems to be Jew and Gentile. Paul says about some of these people, they're my kinsmen. I don't know how close of relatives that would mean, but at least it would mean that they're his, they're the same nationality as him. They're uh, Jewish people. He uses that when he says, I'm, I pray for my kinsmen, uh, Jewish people. Um, a lot of the names are of pagan origin and probably the origin was forgotten at this point. So it's just a sound, you know, people didn't change their names after becoming um, Christian, but I, I would tend to think that many of those would be Gentile believers. So it's a, it's a church of Jew and Gentile together, certainly weak and strong. And I'm referring back to chapter 14 and chapter 15, the issue that uh, what Paul knew was threatening to uh, cause disunity in the church, differences over foods 
and over uh, the observance of uh, holidays. And uh, I assume that in this group this large, there would be those who would be both strong and those who are weak. In other words, those who understood those issues rightly, that the Lord didn't make any requirements uh, of food or of holidays of Christians, and also those who are weak, whose conscience would be burdened by the thought that the Lord did uh, have that. I assume that there's both in this group. It would be odd if Paul just greeted the strong and didn't greet the weak, and so I assume both are uh, represented. And certainly uh, both women and men are uh, represented in this church. And so both are vital to the church, as can be seen by the names and also what Paul says about both the men and uh, the women. Sometimes people um, act like it's a big discovery when they think, well, the churches in the New Testament were led by men, and yet women were vital to the life of the church, as if that's some great discovery. And I feel like saying, well, come to one of our churches and you'll see the same thing, you know, that it's led by men and yet uh, women are certainly as absolutely vital to the uh, ministry as as uh, the men are. And that's certainly the case here in the way Paul describes the church in Rome and also the work of the ministry that took place before they got to Rome. Well, our passage falls easily into three parts. First, we'll look at a commendation, verse 1 and 2. Second, greetings, verse 3 to 15, and then a final greeting in verse uh, 16. So first, the commendation, and that's in verse 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is servant of the church which, which is at Kentria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of for you. For she herself also has been a helper of many, and of myself uh, as well. So this first lady mention actually is not an inhabitant of Rome, or at least not yet when Paul wrote uh, this letter. And actually, he doesn't send her greetings. So she's a little bit different. He gives a commendation of her. In fact, you, you might almost say the letter of Romans, as it includes this, is a letter of commendation for her, so to speak, at least in this uh, part. Remember, Paul wrote about letters of commendation in another part of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in which he scoffs at the idea that he would need a letter of commendation to the Corinthians, uh, because he says, I know you, you know me, and actually you are my letter of commendation, the work that the Lord has done in your heart, written in your heart, uh, not with ink and a pen, but uh, in writing on uh, your heart and the change that he's made is my letter of commendation to introduce uh, you. So Paul didn't need a letter of commendation for himself, for the Corinthians, but letters of commendation were useful uh, to people for introducing strangers, and uh, especially in the Christian uh, community, so that someone new would show up to the church from another church, and they'd have a letter of commendation, maybe from an apostle or from a leader of the church, saying, this is a real Christian. You should trust this person. You should uh, uh, allow them to come fully into your fellowship right away. And uh, you have my word on it. And it's a letter of uh, commendation. So this is certainly what Paul gives for Phoebe, this lady. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a uh, servant of the church, which is at uh, Kentria. He uses the word uh, deacon. It's the same word as a deacon. I'm not sure she was. I don't think she was officially uh, in the office of deacon. And so we can say this is sort of deacon with a small d. Um, uh, I think is a very common word that was used just a minister in some way, but she was certainly a, a servant of the church at Kentria. Um, 
She's from this town of Kentria. It's near Corinth, and that's where Paul is writing this letter. Uh, Corinth um, was on this narrow neck of, of uh, land, dividing northern Greece from southern uh, Greece. And so it had one port facing west to Europe and another port facing east to Asia. And the port facing east to Asia was this Kentria, about seven miles from Corinth. And that's the town where this lady, uh, Phoebe, was uh, from. But uh, Paul certainly says that they're to uh, trust in her. He says, I commend you. I commend her to you that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. Treat her like a saint uh, who's from your church and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. He sort of uh, says, uh, receive her as a saint in a manner worthy of the saints. And he also gives kind of a blank check. Just help her along with anything that she needs because that's how she is. She helps the saints and she's helped me uh, many times as well. So she's a, a trusted person from uh, the Apostle Paul and he uh, tells them to trust her uh, completely as, uh, as she comes. It's thought with almost certainty that Phoebe was the carrier of this letter. And so Paul uh, trusted her with that task uh, as well, she was obviously going from the area of Corinth to Rome, and so she probably carried this letter, and that's an important mission in itself. In fact, that's an essential way, part of the way in which this wonderful letter comes to us. It's because she, she was faithful in doing this mission and carrying this letter of uh, Romans uh, to uh, Rome. So a commendation of Phoebe, who's a, a wonderful Christian lady, a responsible Christian lady uh, that was he Paul commends to the church in Rome a commendation and then it's followed by greetings and these are people that are already there in Rome so verse three and it starts with uh, a couple that we know from other places in Scripture greet Prisca and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who for my life risk their own necks to whom not only do I give thanks but also all the churches of uh, the Gentiles. Priscilla and Aquila were uh, tent makers. They were in the same profession as uh, Paul. They were uh, business people. And uh, Paul met them actually in Corinth and uh, partnered with them in, uh, in ministry as well. And so they became fellow workers with Paul in uh, the work of the ministry, kind of a high honor to be called that, a fellow worker along with uh, Paul. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, as far as we know, were from Rome, were from Rome, and they were expelled from Rome by uh, an edict by the emperor Claudius, who expelled all Jews from Rome at a certain time. And uh, then they had to wait till he died in order to be allowed back into the city. But where we first meet Priscilla and Aquila in the record of uh, Scripture, they've been expelled from Rome, which I assume is their home, and uh, they're in Corinth because of this uh, edict of uh, Claudius. They ministered in Corinth in an important way. They ministered also later in Ephesus, and those are two of the really the key cities in Paul's uh, missionary journeys Corinth and Ephesus, the places where he spent the most uh, amount of times, and, and those actually became centers of ministry for the whole region. And so Paul says, uh, I'm, not only do I give thanks for them, 
but also all the churches of the Gentiles have been helped by this couple, uh, Priscilla and uh, Aquila. And he mentions this as well, who for my life risk their own necks. And so when Paul ministered, there was an element of danger and Priscilla and Aquila didn't hold themselves aloof from that. They stuck their necks out for the Apostle Paul. And so a time of danger sort of reveals uh, for Paul who his friends uh, are. Um, and uh, he finds that uh, Priscilla and Aquila didn't shy away in that time. They passed the test and they uh, took on the same risk as the Apostle Paul and stuck out their neck uh, for him. And that's the way in which he commends them as he, as he greets them before the church uh, as well. So greet Priscilla and Aquila. He describes them in all these ways and also greet the church that is in their house. It's a little difficult to know exactly how the churches were arranged in Rome. It kind of appears that they're meeting in maybe several different places in Rome. It was a large city. It was a million people in the city um, at this time. But certainly one of the places where a church met in Rome was in um, the home of Priscilla and Aquila. They were probably prosperous people, had a home large enough to have a, a group of people uh, meet there. So greet them and also... He says the church that is in their house. Well, let me move through these names. I'll, I'll kind of go through them um, and, and comment as I can. Uh, greet Eponidas. Paul simply describes him as my beloved. So, and he loved all these people, but he describes Eponidas as my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And so Paul remembered these things when he wrote to the Corinthians. He talked about the household of Stephanus being the first converts in Achaia. Lydia was the first convert in uh, Europe. Actually, she was in Macedonia. But this is the western part of um, what is today Turkey. It's the region of uh, Asia. And uh, Eponidas was the first convert there. And Paul himself is the one who brought the gospel to this region. So Eponidas would be somebody who was converted, the first person converted under Paul's ministry in this uh, region of um of uh, Asia, and he remembers him uh, for that. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. And so actually, um, I'm not sure she worked with Paul. Uh, Paul knew her in some way, but what he especially knew about her is, is uh, what she'd done in Rome. She's worked hard for you in uh, the church uh, that is there. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who were in Christ before me. And so these are relatives of the Apostle Paul, or at least um, countrymen, Jewish uh, people. They're uh, almost always understood as a couple, uh, Andronicus being the uh, husband and Junius being uh, the wife. They are those who had also uh, spent time in prison, like the Apostle Paul, uh, for their faith. And so they're remembered uh, for that. Um, he says they were in Christ before me. And at this point, Paul had been saved since his conversion on the road to Damascus for about 20 years. And so this couple had been saved even before. Uh, Paul were in Christ before me, and probably they were um, involved in the church in Jerusalem when the church in Jerusalem first uh, met uh, there. And then he says this, and this has captured some attention, uh, that this couple 
are outstanding among the apostles, outstanding among the apostles. And there's a couple of ways in which that can be taken. One is to take it that they are apostles. And so uh, the reason why this has gotten attention is some have said this is evidence for a female apostle um, because uh, Andronicus and Junius are outstanding among the apostles. And uh, I think that's probably not the right way in which this is to be uh, taken. Rather, among the apostles, all of them knew that the, this couple was outstanding. I think that's what, what is meant. Not that they're outstanding apostles, but that all the apostles were familiar with them and uh, knew uh, about them. That's another uh, evidence, I think, that they were in the church in Jerusalem at the very beginning where all the apostles would have been serving and would have known and thought very highly of this uh, of this couple. Verse 8, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. There's that note of love that keeps on showing up uh, with many of these uh, people. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Stachys, my uh, beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. That's not just speaking of uh, his standing as righteous in Christ's uh, sight, but that he's tested Apelles. He's been, he's been tested by experience. Uh, and proven himself in a number of situations. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. And um, perhaps Aristobulus himself was not a saved person. He may have been a, a high-ranking person. And a lot of the ways in which uh, the Roman society was uh, arranged was in terms of like a patron who would have people under him, whether slaves or uh, freedmen. And so uh, within this household structure, there are um, those who are, are saved uh, people. And so they're uh, mentioned here uh, for a greeting. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodias, Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. And so this is another group of people, perhaps under a, another high-ranking person who might or might not have been saved, Narcissus. There's actually a person in Rome at this time who was in an extremely high position and had a lot of wealth um, and uh, was kind of the right-hand uh, person of the emperor at this time named Narcissus. It, we don't know, but it could be uh, the same the same person. If so, there were Christians in his large household that Paul uh, greets. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, two female names, uh, workers in the Lord. And so uh, they're mentioned, a lot of the women that are mentioned here are, are mentioned for their toil, for the sake of uh, Christ. Greet Persis, the beloved, who's worked hard in the Lord, a, a man's name uh, there. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And uh, Rufus is one of the names that shows up in, an, in another place in scripture. Most of these uh, only show up um, here, we don't know if it's the same person, but uh, when uh, the man who carried Christ's cross, when Christ uh, was exhausted on his way to uh, Calvary, and uh, someone was pressed into service, his name was Simon of Cyrene, and Mark mentions him in Mark 15, verse 21, he says he's the father of Alexander and Rufus. And Mark's gospel especially had connection to the uh, church in Rome, and so it may be this Rufus who's the son of uh, Simon of Cyrene, who's uh, in the Lord and who's greeted as a choice man in the Lord, perhaps, or else someone else with the same name. Uh, but Paul mentions this Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. And so um, his mother was important to Paul and had kind of taken on the role at some point in Paul's life 
of almost like a, an adopted mother to Paul and administered to Paul uh, in that way. And so Paul greets uh, Rufus and his mother. And Paul says, and she's also mine in a certain way, my mother uh, as well. Verse 14, greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. And perhaps this is uh, its just a, a group of names that are mentioned along with the brethren with them. Perhaps this was another church group that was in the city of Rome, as well as the church that met in the home of uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And then verse 15, greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who were with him. And perhaps that's a way of highlighting um, another group of believers that met in another place in, um, in the city. Well, let me press on to uh, the last verse. The last part of this before I, I uh, summarize uh, the whole thing. We've had a commendation of one person, Phoebe, this lady who is to carry the letter. We've had greetings of a whole bunch of people, maybe more than you'd expect Paul to know uh, in this city. And yet he knows and treasures uh, all these people uh, that have worked with him uh, in some way. And then it culminates in a final greeting. A couple of things are said in verse uh, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's, this is a command that appears in other letters as well and something that was to be customary among Christians and the churches that, that uh, Paul um, had a, a relationship with, uh, that they're to greet one another with a holy kiss. So this is a form of greeting. Is this for us? Are we to greet one another with a holy kiss? Are we to take this literally? Well, some do. Some do take it literally and they greet one another with a holy uh, kiss. Um, it seems to be a part of scripture that uh, is to be taken culturally. Um, there's When you're dealing with something that is a form that varies from place to place in its form, it's something that uh, varies from culture to culture. You can take it, um, I, I think we have warrant to take it uh, in a cultural way. This is Southern Europe, where even to this day, they're a little bit more expressive. And uh, our culture is more or less uh, derives from Northern Europe, where uh, a handshake or a hug at most or a pat on the shoulder or something like that would be probably the most uh, expressive. Um, a kiss at this time was not something weird, not something out of out of the normal, something that, oh, those Christians do that and nobody else does that. Uh, Judas betrayed the Lord with a kiss. And it was not the act itself that was weird. In fact, that was a normal thing to do, but his motive in doing it, which was a secret motive, was a signal uh, for harm to come uh, upon the Lord. And it was probably um, just probably just brushing cheeks and making a kissing motion with your mouth as your as your cheeks brush or something like that. Probably what it may be what Paul had in mind was something that men were to do to men and women to women as appropriate. Perhaps that would be understood. Uh, that would be in keeping with how the command to do something with reference to one another is uh, done elsewhere. In other words, not everyone to everyone in every way imaginable, but some to others in ways that were appropriate. So greet one another with uh, a holy uh, with a holy kiss. Uh, so cultural, perhaps, yes, should take on uh, an expression uh, uh, that's in keeping with our what we are uh, used to uh, in our, our culture. But, but there's no substitute for a warm physical expression of unity and of fellowship and uh, of love. That's not something that can be skipped. So when we say it's a, a, something that can be obeyed in a cultural way, 
uh, for us, uh, we're not to uh, skip skip that. It's something that can't be skipped. We're not to have a disembodied church life. You can't have that any more than you can have a disembodied uh, family life. The church at this time already had technology to communicate to one another remotely. And what do I mean by that? Um, they had paper. They had pen. They had ink. They had safe roads for uh, letters to travel. And actually, we're very thankful for that because when uh, the church communicated in that way, at least uh, sometimes it left a record, which became scripture uh, for us. And yet the writing of letters, people communicating without being bodily in the presence of uh, one another was certainly inadequate to carry on the life of the church. And uh, some of the letters even say that in the writing, and I'm thinking of Second and Third John, where John uh, writes, "Though I had many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made full." So he says, "I'm writing you this letter. I'm glad to be writing you, but there's some things that I want to say to you that I can only say to you in person." And uh, he's waiting to to say that that their joy might be made full. He says that in Third John. Uh, as well, Third John 13, I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. And so uh, Christians are to greet one another and to do so expressed in the body in some way and expressed face to face in some way. Your body is you. Uh, your body is not something that uh, encases you like a, a suitcase. The Christian view of the body is that the body is you. And it's actually, it's only death that teaches us that the soul is separate, separable from the body. From the beginning, it was not so. And it won't be so for all of eternity. We'll be uh, in a body. Our body is ourselves. And so when the soul is separated from the body, it's, it's unnatural. It's, it's breaking up what should be a whole. And it's also temporary. We will exist for all eternity in a body. In fact, the wicked even will exist for all eternity in a body. So your body is you. Uh, it's not even your brain is you and your body is a shell for you, but your body is you. Your body matters to determine your gender. Your body matters for your participation in uh, church. And so our bodily presence with one another and the way that we're commanded to express that in love to one another and the fellowship is, is even not something that God has delegated to the powers that be, to government, uh, and the array of agendas, uh, that are there. So that if they decide to put that on hold, we're sinning, uh, against them if we don't uh, obey that. Rather, it's something that is directly from the Lord without, um, mediation from others or permission. Uh, from others is to be that the church uh, fellowship is to be expressed physically in person and it's to be expressed in a in a bodily way so a uh, cultural command yes probably i'm sure uh, it is an optional command no or a non-essential command uh no but rather this is uh expresses the relationship with one another in a church. And we're thankful to be free to do this. We should take full advantage of it uh, when we're free uh, uh, to, to uh, gather together and to meet one another and to appear uh, in person before one another and to express the life of the church uh, in that way. So greet one another with a holy kiss. It's a command that shows up in a number of places in scripture. And then all the churches of Christ greet you. 
all the churches of Christ greet you. Paul is not only concerned for unity within the church in Rome. He's very concerned uh, for that. He didn't want the church in Rome to be sidelined by disunity. And he even wanted to ward off potential disunity that he saw in this matter of food and uh, holidays. He wanted them to have unity and to express it to one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. So he's concerned for unity within the church in Rome. He's also concerned for unity between the churches uh, as well. And so uh, he says about all the churches that he's uh, planted, they're all concerned about you. They all greet you. They all pray for you. All the churches of Christ uh, greet you. And so uh, the church is one and uh, there's a, a unity that we have in Christ. The church is also plural. There's a number of different churches, and uh, but there's a oneness as well. And so Paul says all the churches, plural, of Christ uh, uh, greet you. He uh, wanted the church to be unified with itself and also to be unified with other churches. In fact, uh, part of what Paul wanted from this church in Rome was to help other churches that Paul would, was hoping to plant west of Rome. And so this island in the Roman Empire, because the, they had drawn in uh, the, the church, the city itself, so to speak, had drawn in the church and made it an island. Paul wanted to make it a bridge to the other side of uh, the spread of the gospel. And so he was also concerned for their unity with other uh, churches. It's our privilege to um, have sister churches that we have close relationship to, which I really treasure, uh, our relationship with Hillcrest Bible Church and our relationship with Grace Bible Chapel in Japan. And it's always a privilege to pray for them and they pray for us as well. I was praying for them at the uh, men's prayer meeting Yesterday and reminded of the scripture, a strand of three is not easily broken. And that comes from a scripture as well. And so that's a, a unity that we treasure as well as, as often as we have opportunity to uh, express it. Um, it's actually true of all gospel preaching churches, though, not just the ones that we have a especially close uh, relationship uh, as in that. But uh, of all churches that preach the true gospel, we greet them in Christ. We pray for them. Uh, as well, we would give them more support and other support as we have opportunity and they have need uh, as well. And so uh, Paul sends this greeting from uh, all the churches of Christ to the church in Rome. Well, this, uh, th- these greetings and the three parts of it, a commendation of this lady, uh, Phoebe, the uh, greetings to individuals and then uh, a final greeting, commanded to greet one another and then a greeting from all the churches to Rome gives us a fleeting snapshot of the church in Rome. And uh, this uh, list of names put together with a few uh, phrases is certainly a fleeting snapshot. It's not quite the same as if we could go to church with these people who are named here or share a meal uh, with them or hear their testimonies. That would be a wonderful thing to do here, how they were saved and uh, came to Christ. And yet in its own way, even this brief picture gives us a picture of the Christian life uh, to which we're called. And in, in its own way, like a moon that reflects uh, the sun, it gives us a picture of Christ himself. And that's the kind of life uh, that we are called into. And what is the picture? What is the picture that emerges uh, from this passage? Well, it's a picture of love. That's a note that Paul sounds many times. It's a picture of warmness of a family like this lady that Paul considered to be his own mother, even though she wasn't. She was Rufus's uh, mother. It's a picture of the warmness of a, a family, 
Uh, along with that affection is admiration, appreciation, respect, perhaps forgiveness. That's not mentioned, but uh, when Paul remembers uh, these people, he doesn't remember times in which they've failed him. He remembers something good, something the Lord has worked in them uh, is that's been good. And uh, considering how closely Paul worked with these people, I'm sure forgiveness uh, is part of that uh, as well. Uh, the unity uh, that's in Christ is uh, and and that grows strong here is shown in hard work. That's another note that sounded teamwork, embracing risk. We're not called in the Christian life to a uh, risk-free life, uh, that kind of life, but it's a life that can involve for some prison, for others sticking their neck out for the for Paul and for the sake of uh, the gospel. It's a life of selflessness and a life of reaching out uh, to others. That's the life that God is calling you to. He's already called you to that. He's already brought you into that kind of life, and he's calling you into it more. It's the kind of life that God is calling us to together as a church. It's a life shaped by Christ. It's a life shaped by the gospel. That's that's uh, the life uh, that the, that's shown forth in the gospel. It's what Christ did when he came to save us. He didn't come for himself. He came selflessly. He came willing to work uh, for others. He came willing to uh, embrace risk. In fact, he embraced the cross itself and in order to establish a relationship of love towards us. And so if you have Christ, you have all of this. You have everything that you need for this. This is the life that he's working out in you. If you stumble in this kind of life, in living this kind of life, don't stop. But get up and keep going. The righteous man stumbles and uh, gets up seven times. So let me close uh, just by reading uh, this passage, Philippians chapter 2, which shows uh, the kind of life that we're called into and how it's shown forth to us in Christ and shown forth to us uh, in the gospel uh, by which we're called into this life and that we proclaim to others. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that it is your glory to send Christ and to give him a name above every name because of what he did, that he laid down his life even to death for us uh, out of love and even the death of uh, a cross. Father, we thank you that... uh, Christ not only did this for us, but he calls us into this life itself, a life of giving, a life uh, not concerned about ourself, 
uh, because we know that you're taking care uh, of us, but a life of seeking the interests of others. And so, Father, we pray that you'd remind us, that you'd encourage us uh, to keep pursuing this kind of life in the church uh, with one another, the beloved people of the Lord, and also in outreach uh, to others, to the world uh, around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.